0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. So grateful to be in the house today. Listen, if you're tuning in online, we are so grateful that you are in the house. One church, two locations, in person and online. And uh, really excited for what God has been doing through this series. It's been so fun. We're five weeks in. We're only into chapter two of the book of James, and uh, I I wanna speak to you today a little bit around this idea of a faith that works. A faith that works. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time together. I know it's short, but I pray that you would maximize it, Lord. I pray that our time together would bear much fruit, that every word from my mouth would be from your heart, God. I pray that I would get out of the way, Lord, that you could Have your way in everything that I do, everything that I say, God, that you would penetrate our hearts in a real way with your word. Let it be clear in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. Well, for those of you guys who are just tuning in, we are in the book of James, and I feel like it's been such an in-season series. And I want to take you back to the 1800s. There was a man by the name of Charles Blondin. Anybody ever hear of Charles Blondin? He's a, a famous tightrope Rope walker, and he was kind of a, an evil Knievel, kind of a guy, a daredevil. And there was a moment where he had this idea what if I could tightrope across Niagara Falls from the United States to Canada? And so he set out on this mission. Obviously, it was a big spectacle no safety ropes, none of that stuff, just out on a tightrope by himself. It seems like some of these guys, we talked about Alex uh, Honold, who climbed El Cap. Uh, In Yosemite and now I I got word this last week that the first woman climbed El Cap with like a a free climb um, Which is just a huge deal. Um, She actually climbed it, I think with Alex Honnold over the last week Which is really really cool, but just some daredevil folks that love to do some crazy stuff But Charles Blondin, he, he set out on this adventure to cross Niagara Falls and he was very successful in fact he not only went out uh, to cross on the tightrope, but he also cooked breakfast uh, out on the tightrope. People were just looking, waiting for this guy to plummet to his death. How many guys know a lot of times when people watch spectacles like this, they're not hoping you make it. They're hoping that they can see something crazy and intense, but he actually makes it. And so he, he just starts up in the ante. He cooks breakfast on the tightrope, and he's over in Niagara Falls. And then on one particular occasion, he took a wheelbarrow. And he started walking the wheelbarrow across and everybody's just shouting, man, this is amazing. You could do anything. And so we started to address the crowd and he said, do you really believe that I can do anything? Do you really believe that I can do this? Everybody's like, yeah. And then he said, well, let me, let me take volunteers who wants to get in, who wants to get in to the wheelbarrow. And how many of you guys know the shouts went down just a little bit at that point? Like, bro, we, we believe in you, but not like that. But could you imagine if somebody would have got into the wheelbarrow? It's kind of like Alex Honnold climbing an El Cap with no ropes. All of a sudden, that one step opens up a world of possibilities for other people. I mean, imagine if you got in the wheelbarrow, probably about halfway through, you'd be thinking to yourself, what am I doing? This is crazy. You better make it, bro. But imagine if you made it across. Man, how life would change in that moment, right? You were in the wheelbarrow with Alec or when uh, Blondin walked across Niagara Falls on a tightrope with you in that barrel. I mean, imagine how that would change the game. I mean, you'd be all over the news. Uh, I might open some doors of opportunity and might increase other people's faith to do some daring things like that. And and I think moments like that become chain reactions. It didn't surprise me that there was this woman that wanted to climb El Cap because Alex Honnold, he did it. He climbed El Capitan and, and he made it successfully and that awakens something in other people. It's like, man, maybe, maybe I can do it. Maybe there's something there. And I think faith operates a lot like a chain reaction. Now, if you look, uh, if, if you've ever played dominoes, uh, all of you have, at one point or another, if you had a set of dominoes, line them up and try to make the big train. Whether you were a kid or you did it with blocks or there was this, this beauty of this chain reaction. If I knock one over and I, I have all of them lined up, that it's going to knock the rest of them over well, there was this particular gentleman uh, named Lone Whitehead, and what he did was his research on the chain reaction was was a little bit different. He realized that one domino uh, could not just simply knock over a domino of its size, but can knock over a domino one and a half its sizes. And so, so when you start to do the multiplication effect, like, for instance, a two-inch domino can knock over a three-inch, a three-inch, a four-and-a-half-inch, and you start to use compound math, all of a sudden, by the time you get to the 18th domino, you'd be able to knock over the Leaning Tower of Pisa. As you get to the 23rd domino, you'd be able uh, to knock over the Eiffel Tower. The 28th domino, you'd be able to knock over the Empire State Building. It's a chain reaction. And and math, math works a little bit differently. Math works both geometrically and linear. And so, so linear math is basically 2 plus 2 equals 4. And then geometric math, 2 times 2, there's a multiplication, there's a compound effect, equals 4, and, and it continues. So, for example, if you were to take 30 linear steps, you, it would put you at about 90 feet. If you took 30 geometric steps, it would put you about 26 times around the earth. It, it's, it's a chain reaction. And I would propose to you that, that faith is a lot like that, that authentic faith is a lot like a chain reaction that this one step begins to trigger a thousand other reactions, some of which we will know of and many of which we will never know. I think about all the people that said yes to being a part of Fountain when when we came. I think about our founding pastors saying yes to plant this church. Like like we had no idea the lives that would change. We had no idea what God would do. We had no idea what was on the other side of that yes. And it wasn't just simply us saying yes, it was so many people saying yes, and and people are still saying yes today. And and the chain reaction of that step towards God, that obedience and that trust in Him, how it's changed and impacted people's lives is amazing. And so so I, I would propose to you that faith isn't this kind of generic, whimsical concept, all of us have a faith position. Uh, you may be tuning in online, or you may be in this room. You may be an agnostic. You may be an atheist. But even then, you still have a faith position. Uh, for instance, all of us got in the car this morning. The majority of us somewhere in the passenger seat, somewhere in the driver's seat. But as we put the keys in the ignition, we just believe that we were going to make it to our destination. Right? I hear people say all the time, "I don't really have a faith position. I don't. I don't really believe um, like you may believe. I, I don't, I'm not really a faith guy." But then I, I hear people say things like this all the time. Like, if I'm doing a funeral, you hear people say, yeah, I'm not very religious. I don't, I don't, I don't have a, a faith position, but, but I'm so glad that their suffering is over. Like, well, how do you know that? Like, like what are you basing that off of? See, I, I would base that as a follower of Jesus that their suffering is over based on a historical uh, event called the resurrection of Christ. And so I feel like there, there's more of a, a, a solidification to where my faith is rooted in. But just that statement alone is a faith position. I believe that their suffering will be over. Well, you, don't, you don't know if that's true. You are, you are believing and hoping that that's true, which puts you in a faith position. I remember I was talking with a gentleman uh, uh, at Kaiser. I mentioned, to this, to the, I mentioned this to you guys before, but I was in line to get a prescription, and I heard the pharmacist over speaking um, to his colleagues, and he said, I will never believe anything unless it's been proven scientific. And so when I got to the register and he was helping me out because he had to explain myself, I said, hey, can I just ask you a quick question? No disrespect. Do you really believe that statement? I will not believe anything unless it's been proven scientific. And he said, yeah, absolutely. I said, well, that statement has not been proven scientific. And so there's at least one thing that you believe that's not scientific but rather philosophical. Everybody has a faith position. We all have a window that we're looking through. I went on a pastor's retreat this last week and this was my devotional spot. This is the window that I looked out every day in Montana for a week. It's just beautiful. We're out in the middle of nowhere. The whole idea is, is to, to have a pastor retreat with no plan because we're all type A personalities. We're all going 100 miles an hour and there's just no structure. The, the motto of the camp is this, don't get what you want, get what you need. Like you may want to go fishing but you may need to take a nap. Get what you need. And uh, and so looking out of this window, it's just beautiful, looking out into the countryside. And, and that's really the deal. All of us have a pay, a faith position, but what's important is the content of, uh, of what we're seeing as we all look through a proverbial window. We all have a window, but it's the content of what we're looking at that actually matters. Like, like, what is your view on creation? Is, is it evolution that somehow we... There was, there was some type of an explosion and things came into being. Is it, is it creator? Do you believe that God created the universe, that there was intelligent design? I, I always say, you know, to my atheist friends, and, and this is, again, no disrespect. If you're an atheist, man, we're so grateful that you're tuning in. We're so glad that you're here. But it is a little bit more challenging, I think. It, it takes a little bit more faith to be an atheist. Just when you look at the beauty of creation, I mean, as we're looking at the solar system, as we look, we're getting ready to send some more people into space, which blows my mind. Um, you look at the human body, how complex it is, how precise it is, the precision. It's, it's really challenging uh, for me um, not to believe that there was a creator, there was a design behind creation. I, I mean, none of us would come to the logical conclusion as we look at anything that has been built, none of us would come to the logical conclusion just say that, it, man, it just kind of exploded and it happened. Nothing, that, that just doesn't live in the realm of logic. So I think it does take a little bit more faith to be an atheist. But, but my point is this, we're all looking through a, through a window and the content of what we're looking at on the other side, it matters, whether it's creation, whether it's how we think about meaning and purpose, how we think about morality. I remember I was talking to a former MIT professor uh, in Costco and, uh, and it, this was probably one of my favorite conversations. And it was really good. We're in the closed section. And she's like, she found out I was a pastor. I don't know how we got on that topic. But, but she said, you know, you pastors really need to preach against ISIS. This is during this whole like explosion of ISIS. She said, they're so evil. Now, prior to this statement, we had talked about, she said, I, I believe in evolutionary theory. And so we were having this conversation. And so I, I said, whoa, 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 stop right there. I said, do you, really, do you really believe that, that, that they're evil? She's like, yeah, they're evil. You need to be preaching against them. I said, well, how do you come to that conclusion? Because to assume evil is to assume good. To assume good is to assume a moral law. To assume a moral law is to assume there's a moral law giver, which is to assume God. So with evolutionary theory, you can't, you, you can't believe in evil because it's survival of the fittest. You should be praising ISIS. You should be giving them a high five because they are slaughtering the weak. And so, so do you see how things, they sound right, and we're all seeing through a particular window. How many of you guys know that con- conversation in Costco ended pretty quick at that point? <laughs> but we all have a faith position, and James is trying to help us see through a window Where our faith is rooted in a Christ-centered position where the content is not philosophy, is not ideology, but rather the person, the life, the work, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus that saves us, that transforms us to where we're never the same. And so my question today is, man, what does real faith look like? Like, what does saving faith actually look like? Because it's possible... It's possible to, you know, to, to have faith, but it's not saving. Like you can have faith, but it's not unto salvation. You can believe in God, but that doesn't mean that you are a follower of Jesus. And so James is going to kind of help us unpack this. I only have 35 minutes, so you, I can only do so much in a short amount of time. But, uh, but, but one of the things that James lets us know is that saving faith is not dead. It's not dead. So James says, James chapter 2 verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Now, this word dead in the original language, in the Greek, it means to be barren or idle. It's dead, there's there's no life and there's no movement. And, And some have translated this to say, see, we are not just saved by our faith in Christ, but by our good deeds. You hear this all the time. It's, I'm a good person. Like, God's gonna let me in, like, I'm good. I'm I'm not like Joe over here. My neighbor, God bless him. So grateful I'm not like that guy. Like, God, like, I'm a pretty good person. So I think me and God are good based on what I do. And, And we know that that's not true, that your works cannot save you. My works cannot save me. Paul makes that very clear for us in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. I don't know if Paul makes it any more clear. Not by works so that nobody can brag. Right? If we could save ourselves, if somehow our good works could save us, then there'd be no need for the cross. Good works nullifies the cross. Like, why would Jesus have to come and die? He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Well, if we could become the righteousness of God on our own, why would Jesus have to come? He wouldn't have. But the reality is, is all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. If we compare ourselves to Joe, yeah, we might, you know, okay, maybe doing a little bit better than Joe. But when we all compare ourselves to God, we fall short. We fall short of of God's ultimate standard. We are all flawed people. And if you don't think you're flawed, that's part of your flaw. (laughs) And And so James is saying, listen, saving faith, though, saving faith in Christ, real faith will result in good works. Why? Because the spirit of God lives on the inside of you. God is transforming you. It's no longer lip service. It's lifestyle. So James says real faith is going to move you to good works. But just because you have some good works doesn't mean you have real faith. I mean, come on, we we've all have come in at one point or another. You know, maybe we're fighting in the car. We come in and we worship. Or maybe we're living in, we're living in complete sin, but we can come in on a Sunday and we just look like a tree that's just blossoming with leaves. <laughs> Jesus, what is he like? Right? And in reality, you're like, I really don't know because I was kicking it last night. And, and so, so, so some of us, I mean, we, we, we look like such beautiful trees with some gorgeous leaves. But if you get close, the Lord's looking for fruit. Like, he told the, the Pharisees all the time, he says, man, you, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Meaning meaning, what, what, what's coming out of your mouth is not matching up with your life. Now, this may seem really elementary, but we get caught up in this even as believers so often. So much so that in Matthew chapter 7, the, Jesus said this. Many on that day are going to say, Lord, Lord, it's me. Did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not preach in your name? Did I not do many signs and wonders in your name? And he will say, you ready for this? He'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. You worker of iniquity. You sinful person. Woo, going in to today. But, but he, here's, here's, here's the, the, the picture of this. Listen, you can have works, but not have authentic faith. But authentic faith will always produce good works so, so we, need, we need to understand this. So let me tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you must add works to your faith to validate your faith, but rather legitimate faith will lead to a life of good works, loving, which will equal love for God and love for others. Love for God and love for others. Are you guys with me on that? Let me paint it a little bit better. So bicycle, anybody like bikes? Like back in the day, it was so funny. Uh, we pulled up to this park in Livermore, and we're, we're getting out with my girls, and I thought, man, I, I know this park. And then I took a step back, I'm like, my bike got stolen at this park. (laughs) I'll never forget, i left it in this spot, I ran up on the little hill, came back, one of the guys stole my bike. But then it caused me to think, back in the day, I would ride my bike everywhere. I mean, kids could just do that, right? We'd all in the neighborhood get on our bikes and just go. Now our kids are glued to the driveway, like, stay there, like, dad, I'm on the porch, but, but one of the things about, about bicycles that you may know and that I've come to know and appreciate, have you ever tried to ride a bike with one pedal? It's the worst. Some of you guys just like trying to get a little angle with this foot. It's the worst. But the cool thing about a bike is, is that when that first pedal goes forward, that second pedal follows, right? There, there's, there's a, a symmetry, there's, there's a movement as the front one moves forward, the other one comes behind it. Now, if you try to pedal backwards, if you're on a little kid's bike, you're gonna skid. You're gonna stop immediately. Barren. If you're on one of these bikes, you're gonna pedal and it's gonna cycle backwards, but you're not gonna go anywhere. No movement. Idle. Are you tracking with me? See, see faith is, is like, when faith, authentic faith is out in front, works will follow. But if you try to put works first, It's backwards. It doesn't work. You're either going to stop or you're going to remain idle. I I, I love what what Jonathan Edwards says. He he says it this way. He said, or I'm sorry, John Calvin. John Calvin says, it's faith alone that justifies. It's faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. I'm going to bend your mind today. Let me say that one more time. It's faith alone that justifies us. Before God, our faith in God, our faith in Christ, in the person and work of Jesus. But a faith that justifies can never be alone. What he's saying is faith goes forward. Man, these good deeds will follow. A, a, a change of life begins to happen because there's a dramatic change of heart. It, 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 it brings life, it brings movements. And so, and I think we get this. Sometimes we make it way more complicated than it is because every relationship we understand this, right? Like if I told my wife, babe, I love you but there is no action. Babe, like, I really want to serve you, but there is no movement. She's like, I don't really know if... Uh, if, this is, if you really love me. Right, because there's no manifestation. I, I, don't, I don't see the manifestation of that. At the very same time, I could be doing some good works, But she knows my heart's not there. Fine, do the dishes. Fine. Let me tell you a true story. I'll let you into my dirt. Is that cool? So we, uh, we the other day, I I cleaned up like the whole living room. This is, I think, last month. So this is fresh. This is real stuff. We, we still battle in real time. And so I I cleaned like the living room, but she didn't notice. So she kind of roasted me on the bedroom. I'm like. Listen, listen I, I just cleaned the whole living room. And, and so then, you know, you get that attitude. Fine. Canceling the whole day. We're cleaning the house. Let's go. You want to take it there? Let's go to the, we're, we're not going to do our family fun day. We're going to clean the house, right? What a, that's the kind of husband I am sometimes. <laughs> Lots of grace. But she knows in that moment, what do you think she says? I don't want you to clean. Right? Because I know that you're doing it, but your heart's far from me. Like you've missed the whole point. So I don't think this is so complicated. I think we get it in everyday life. But bottom line is James is saying saving faith is not dead. Number two is that saving faith is not deceived. Well, like faith is not just an intellectual assent of I'm garnering some knowledge, always learning but never coming to an understanding, right? Like I can say all the right things. I can know all the right stuff. I can talk Christianese. I can do all of that. But that doesn't mean that I have saving faith. That may mean that I have a uh, deceived faith. I can even alter my life a little bit as a result of. It's so much more than an intellectual assent. James says it this way. He says, you, have, you say you have faith, and I think he gets a little sarcastic here. I love the expression. You say that you have faith, for you believe there is one God. Good for you. <laughs> it's awesome. Even the demons believe. Then he drops a bomb. Let me punch you in the face and then drop a bomb. Good for you. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? So demons, they believe intellectually. They are able to process the scriptures. They know the scriptures really well. And James is like, you may know it really well. You may have even a good theology. You may know the Bible really well so you're in a category of demonic realm right now? I mean, it's pretty crazy. Demons, they have good theology. Their theology is probably better than most of ours. They understand the scripture. They believe that there's definitely a creator. They believe in the existence of the one true God. They believe in the deity of Christ, that Jesus is the son of God, both Fully God and fully man. They believe in an eternal punishment, a future punishment that lies ahead. We see from Scripture, they know that Jesus is the judge. And so intellectual assent alone puts you in about a category of a demon, James is saying. And, and I know, it's, and it's kind of scary. And knowledge is great, don't get me wrong. Like, we are to grow in the knowledge of God. But if we're growing in knowledge but never getting in the barrel. Then it's just intellectual assent. there there are philosophy teachers that know the scriptures probably better than most christians but aren't following jesus wow. and there are some people man that man they they claim like they know the word inside and out but there's no fruit to their life and so james is saying be careful be careful because demons have good theology too and then he also says demons shudder which is pretty interesting because they understand the power of God. They are scared of future punishment. Remember um, in Matthew chapter 8 and also in the gospel of Mark, Mark speaks only, mentions one of the guys who was demon possessed. Matthew uh, mentions two of them as Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. Men came from the tombs. And what do they say? Jesus, son of the most high God, what do you want with us? Have you come to torture us before it's time? Like they know that hell is for real. And so what did they say? They said, listen, listen, throw us into the pigs. Like, just alter. Can you alter this for us real quick? We don't want to go to that place. We we don't want to have to face that judgment. And so Jesus cast them into the pigs, the pigs pigs plunge into the sea. And how often you and I can almost dissect our faith or, or define our faith like a demon where we shudder even at the reality of what God is capable of so we can move some things in our, uh, around in our life. We can try to do better in some areas, because we're like, man, I don't wanna get on God's bad page, so I wanna kinda have these certain adjustments in my life made, so I'm doing some good works, so I'm trying to be nice, I'm trying to be kind. And James is like, man, you could be very religious and even have some moral good to you, do some morally good things, and still be far from God. Still be in the category of a demon. Because even demons shudder. Like they know the reality. But there's no life change. There's no heart change. There's a fear of God with no love for God. And so with that being said, as, as a person a person who has saving faith, they're going to have those things. I mean, they're going to grow in the knowledge of God. Right? There's going to be a healthy fear of God. But you can have those things but having those things doesn't mean that you have saving faith. Are you guys catching the narrative? And I want, I want to get this in our heart because all throughout the New Testament, we see this is a struggle even for the church. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You who begun in the spirit are now trying to perfect in the flesh. It's like this constant, you know, we're, we're just bent towards works to justify ourselves rather than faith by the means of God's grace in our life. That brings ultimate change to our heart, not just to our behavior. And so the question then is, is how do you know? Like how, what are some gauges to know if your faith is authentic? Like what does, what does that look like? Again, faith is a series in and of itself. So I'm not trying to exhaust everything today. I'm hoping to whet your appetite. And then you go open up the scripture and you go study. You wrestle through this. But let me give you a couple of, of hacks. Number one, a great gauge is our heart toward others, a heart toward others. James says it this way: He says, "What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them?" Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, "Go in peace, keep warm and well fed," but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Again, James isn't saying that it's your faith; it's your works that can. That uh, save you, James is saying that saving faith will result in good works and action. I gotta keep telling you that because our minds just a lot of times go in the opposite direction. And so, so what is James saying? I mean, it's pretty obvious, it's pretty clear. Like, like we've all been in that space, right? Haven't we? Where somebody's in need and we're like, man, I'll, good luck, I'll pray for you. Even when we have the opportunity or the means to help. Come on, has anybody ever been there? Like you're in a position to help, but you're in a hurry. Like you're in a position to help, but it's inconvenient. You're in a position to help, but but your view on them is a little bit like, well, you might have got yourself into that mess. And so so what James is saying, listen, if there is an outward hostility or an inward indifference to people, and it could be different types of people. It could be just people that maybe um, you think uh, maybe you're a little bit better than, maybe people that you judge maybe people that annoy you maybe i mean it could be your family like there's just people and james is saying if there's an outward hostility or an inward indifference to people then you might want to like relook at your faith and say man what 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 is motivating me and how is my faith really changing my life and so are, are you are you guys with me So now some of you guys right now are probably thinking, where do I sign up? As soon as you leave here, like, I'm going to find every needy person, and I'm going to go. And there's a lot of injustices in the world, and I believe that we need to do that. But if you're not careful, your motivation can be shudder. And it can be fear. And so because you're moving out of that place, out of that fear, you think, okay, because I did good works now, I must be okay. And my faith must be secure. But James is saying, no, 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 remember, faith works it's just it's it's a fruit of faith that's not motivated by fear of if i don't it's like no i already have so let me give it's a big difference are you tracking with me here i'm, tr- I'm trying to pastor you i want you to understand this this is the gospel this is not only what saves us but sustains us and carries us to that day of completion and so so i, I don't i don't want you to do that i don't want you to i, I want you to be motivated by love I don't want you to be motivated by fear. Love, you can't manufacture it. Love, it's not mechanical. Like you cannot clip a rose off of another bush and then go duct tape that to another branch and expect it to grow. That's mechanical. That's what works is like without faith. But if we're really attached to the vine, the natural byproduct is fruit. The natural byproduct is blossom. And so it all comes back down to our faith. You see, good works simply equals a life of loving God and loving others. And so this is how this gauge works. You ready for this? We're going to dive in deep, then we'll come up and take a breath. Is that cool? So the gospel is now the window or the lens that you and I should be looking out of as followers of Jesus. It should change the way we see the world, the way that we see God, the way that we see others. Even if those people are different, even if they're annoying, even if if, if there's this, I don't know, they, they could be in great need, um, maybe physically or great need spiritually. They could be impoverished where they need food. They could be impoverished and their marriage is about to crumble. They could be your enemy. They could be your family, like I said. And when you see those people, do you see yourself if it wasn't for Christ in desperate need in desperate need like when you see them do you see yourself if it wasn't for the grace of God in your life and so that's what moves us to that place Jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are those that recognize their spiritual poverty apart from Jesus because remember in the kingdom of God, you don't get in because you have something of value. You get in when you realize you are utterly bankrupt spiritually and are in desperate need of a savior. It's so good. And so, so just track with me here. How you treat people is a great test to see if you really believe you're a sinner saved by grace. See, repentance is not based on... Now, when I say repent, it just means a change of mind. The word is metanoia. It means I was going in this direction and I'm, have a, I had a change of mind. But real repentance isn't, I feel bad, I'm a bad person, so I better try to stop being bad. Real repentance is we are so overwhelmed and filled with the grace of God in our lives and what Jesus has done for us on the cross, that how we respond to life and to people, we cannot help but respond with what is filling our hearts. Like, remember when Peter... Jesus gave him this miracle catch in Luke chapter five. Miracle catch of fish. The boats are filled with fish, and Peter falls to his knees in the middle of this, like, "Oh my gosh, you are so good to me and I don't deserve this." What do he say? He said, "Get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. What he's experiencing that moment, he is so filled with the grace of God. It's so overwhelming. And what does Peter do after that moment? He gets up, he leaves the fish, and he follows Jesus, not because he has to, not because he's afraid, but because he's so overwhelmed with the beauty, the majesty, and the reality of the grace of God in his life. See how the motivation dramatically changes? I I mean, the Bible says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, right? It's that our deeds flow from this reality that, man, we are so filled with the grace of God, this grace that we deeply know, we have deeply experienced when we didn't deserve it. That dramatically changes our life, dramatically. Charles Spurgeon says this, a grace that doesn't change my life cannot save my soul. What he's saying is this, a grace that really has saved my soul would radically change my life. I mean, you remember Peter in the book of Acts and Peter's still wrestling through some of this on how he sees people. The Jewish people would come around and Peter would distance himself from the Gentiles and he he would play favorites. And you know what Paul tells him? Paul doesn't say, hey, Peter, you're being a racist. He doesn't say, hey, Peter, you're, uh, you're being shady. No, he says, Peter, you're not keeping in step with the gospel, bro. You've lost sight. You've lost sight that if it wasn't for Christ, you are still empty in desperate need of acceptance. And so, so do you guys see the beauty of that? So if we're hostile towards people, if we're indifferent towards people, if we're a little bit more judgmental towards people, James is saying, hey, you might want to step back and re-examine this reality. Because to the depth that you are filled with that reality will be the degree that that grace will flow from you and touch other people. How is your heart toward people? The last one is this. How is your heart towards God? Your heart towards God. See, works is the life of loving God and loving others. Faith is a life of trusting and being obedient. Trusting obedience, loving, trusting, obedience to God. I think in our day, we, we are faced with uh, an incredible challenge because a lot of times, we live in a time where we're like, we don't necessarily agree with everything the Bible says. We don't necessarily agree, Lord, with how you say, the creator of the universe, we don't necessarily always agree on how you th- say that we should thrive in creation. And really, it's, it's an old temptation. It goes right back to Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve where for some reason they said, we are going to redefine what's right and wrong. God, you told us clearly what's right and what's wrong, but we're going to kind of go on this experiment of our own and kind of redefine right from wrong that we somehow, the creation, know better than the creator. And we fall into this ancient trap all of the time and we think that we can redefine morality without the fall of consequences. We think that we can redefine things when God says, ah, just not how you're gonna thrive. It breaks my heart because I know that people have had some bad experience in churches. They've, they've had some bad experiences with pastors and leaders. And they just have their hearts set on this reality. Man, I'm a good person. I just feel like, man, we can just redefine things, and in the end, it's just gonna be okay. And James says, he gives us kind of an example of what it looks like to trust and obey. He says, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. The Bible made very clearly that, a, that Abraham, that his righteousness wasn't a result simply of what he by what he did, but because he believed God and that produced an action in his life that was pretty big it says in the scripture was fulfilled it says abraham believed god and it was credit to him as righteousness and he was called god's friend now god asked abraham to put everything on the line to to put him first that's what trusting obedience loving trusting obedience looks like is we're saying god we're, we're we put you first now this is super hard because what he was asking abraham to do um god First of all, gave his son Isaac as a promise of a future inheritance and legacy that Abraham's descendants would be more than the stars you can see in the sky. So this is the promise that God gave him, and now God is saying, Hey, will you put that promise on the altar? Now, now God was never intending uh, for this young boy to be slaughtered. Uh, that wasn't the goal. It was a test of Abraham's heart. I, I wonder though, God knowing the heart, God knowing all things, if it was a little bit more for Abraham than it was for God. But Abraham knew that God, if I slaughter my son, you gave me a promise. So if I slaughter him, he's probably going to get raised from the dead because Abraham made it very clearly. We will be coming back down this mountain. There was just a a, a trust in God. And so here, his son's on the altar. He's getting ready to take him out of the game. and, And the Lord says, stop. Now I know that you love me. I love this passage and I hate this passage. Because how often God is asking us to put on the line that very thing that we're trusting in. The things that we're really trusting that will save our life, that will save our soul. The real future and the hope, right, which all comes from him. I mean, as James let us know, right, he is everything good and perfect comes from the Father of lights. But it's hard when God is asking us to put down the very things that we put our trust so much in and don't even realize it i think we all go through moments where we're tested in these areas don't we where it's like man are you gonna really put me first but i'm also i love this passage because not only is it tough and it challenges me but it also points to a greater reality this passage points to this reality that yeah god stopped abraham but there was going to come a time in the future where god said my son is going to be on that tree stakes are going to go through his hands i'm i'm not going to pull him off the altar he's going to go willingly to the cross and so you have this picture of abraham god spares his son fast forward god doesn't spare his own son he told abraham he says now that i know you love me and as we look at the cross we echo now i know god that you love us isn't that such a beautiful picture? Sometimes I think we just need to bask in the cross for a moment. The sacrifice. The brutality, the beauty. And Jesus went willingly, he wasn't forced. He went willingly to the cross. and that, that's, that's a beautiful thing about saving faith. Like, like I, I, I think about, when, when I think about saving faith, True saving faith is, is motivated by the beauty of Jesus, by the beauty of what he's done on the cross, his love, his sacrifice. Like that, That's the beauty of saving faith. That, that touches our heart in such a way that, that, we are all, that we are forever changed. And every time we come back and we remember and we look at the cross, we look at his love, we look at the sacrifice, it radically changes how we live, how we engage the world, how we see him. You see, a lot of times when we're motivated by fear, it's like, oh, I'm just gonna be a good person. I'm just gonna try really, really hard. That's shuddering. We're just motivated by, let me just try to do some more good work so that I can earn brownie points with God. That's shuddering. Because we're trying to get something from him. But the beauty of saving faith just wants him. It's not, what can I get from you, God? It's no, I just want you. You're so beautiful. You've loved me so well, so deeply. This grace is penetrating my heart beyond what I can even fathom. And I think about me looking at my daughter. You know, as as we've had our just three girls, it's the beauty of a baby. I remember buckling my kids into the car seat Olivia, our first child, I look back like, whoa. Like, we're taking this child home, and our entire life was restructured around the beauty of one that could do nothing for me. So I just wonder how much more our lives can be restructured as we look at the beauty of Christ who's done everything for us. Not by works so that none of us could boast. Just a life overwhelmed with God's love, his truth, his grace that moves me into the world. It says, God, I'll give my life away. Let me serve. Let me be an instrument of your hope, of healing. That's the life of saving faith. It's not burdensome. This is love for God, that you obey his commands, and they're not a burden. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I just thank you. I thank you, God, that you constantly call us back to this reality, your beauty, your majesty, your sacrifice, your love. Lord, I sense your presence in this place right now. All those tuning in online, God, you're pursuing our hearts. We're living in some crazy times. We need a faith that works, God not a bunch of works trying to earn a faith. Real saving faith, Christ-centered faith. Let our window, let you be the content of our gaze. Let you be the anchor for our soul. Listen, if you're here this morning or maybe you're, you're tuning in online and you say, man, I, I gotta receive this gift of salvation. I just, maybe some of you just need to look at the cross again and just surrender afresh today. Like, man, Lord, I've just lost sight still put my trust in all these other things And the lord may be just asking you hey will you lay those down i got you i got you if that's you today you say pastor Matt, i, I want to surrender my life to jesus and receive the free gift of salvation if that's you would you slip up your hand if you're online you can click the little button that says i'm giving my life to jesus is there anybody here that would say yeah i need to go all in today i need to trust him for real Maybe you're here and you say, man, I, I get it. I'm seeing afresh and anew. I pray that God would penetrate your heart in a very real way as you look at the cross, his life, death, and resurrection, and let the overwhelming sense of his grace be the fruit of how you and I engage the world. Lord, continue to change us and transform us, God. Holy Spirit, more and more into the image of jesus as we gaze upon your beauty and your majesty realizing lord that you've done everything for us let us be captivated motivated by our love for you not out of fear not out of shudder but overwhelmed by your love for us help us to love the world in jesus name and everybody said amen amen Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at FountainChurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.